Welcome to the Variety Hour, where local leaders talk Memphis. Listen to you, move your mouth. I bet you come from way down south. Now don't tell me, let me guess. You from the town that I love best. Talk Memphis, I wish you would. Talk Memphis, you sound so good. Talk Memphis, high on the bluff. I swear I can't get enough. Welcome to Talk Money. And now here's your host, Jim Shoemaker. And good morning and welcome to Talk Money. Talk Money is about health insurance, stocks and bonds, retirement estate planning, and insurance. Talk Money is everything financial. Our guests bring their insights and perspectives about their topics of expertise. Remember, planning, as we talk about it here on Talk Money, is not about the plan. It's about the results. Well, and investors continue to focus on the second half of the year. It seems like that's where we are today. The S&P has had more daily volatility in the last 12 trading days as it did in the first 150-day trading days in 2017. Can you believe that? I mean, we're seeing that volatility. Well, that's part of the market. Just understand it. We'll talk about it later. Harvey, of course, Hurricane Harvey was a disaster of magnitude, and uh, but it seemed like the market has taken it in stride and uh, the cleanup and construction is seen as a plus with Harvey. So a lot of things going on there. We need to pray for all those that are struggling to get their lives back to normal and just keep those people in the Texas and Louisiana area in your prayers. Here's something to remember. According to a recent study by the Census Bureau, 53 percent, and we've got this going to come up in the program, 53 percent of the owner-occupied homes in the U.S., that's 40.1 million homes are owned that are owned by Americans who are at least 55 years or age or older. Now, well, you say, well, what's so, what's so big about that? Well, a decade ago, age 55 percent, age 55-plus homeowners owned only 43 percent of all homes. So, obviously, what you're seeing is the aging population pushing that huge you know, as we used to talk about it, the python, you know, the movement in the python. Well, that movement of baby boomers are beginning to age, and we've seen that increase in homeowners. Today's program, we're going to be talking with Chris Seaball, President and Chief Investment Officer of Advantage Capital Management. Our subject, the economy and the markets. Chris uh, says, well, optimism. He has some optimism about the administration's growth proposals, but he said that optimism has faded Definitely from earlier in the year. And he's just saying, always keep in mind that uh, we don't put the politics into our investments. Keep the politics out of your investments. So Chris is going to help us to understand. He wants to make sure he gives us what we're looking for in the rest of the year with our investment portfolios. We've got questions for Chris. You don't want to miss those. In the second half of the program, Michael Powell is here from Shoemaker Financial. How are you doing with your 401k? Is your portfolio set up so that you can sleep at night? Well, Michael is going to tell us five ways to be on the road to better financial health. You might be surprised with some of his thoughts. I'm Jim Shoemaker. You're listening to The Voice, KWAM 990 and FM 107.9. This is Talk Money. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Podcast. 
podcast of Talk Money are available in the iTunes store. Just search Shoemaker Financial. We'll be right back with more Talk Money after this. Are you aging? Well, I am. This is Mac Bailey from the Bailey Law Firm. As we age, our concerns and needs change. An updated estate plan will give you peace of mind regarding your family and your future. Your will is about your wishes and not always about your wealth. What are your wishes? Please call us at 901-843-2760 or visit us at thebaileylawfirm.com. Again, this is Mac Bailey from the Bailey Law Firm telling you that today is the youngest you will ever be. Let us help you with your estate planning, elder law, and probate needs. It's what we do. You're listening to Talk Money. Jim Shoemaker and Michael Powell are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Securing Financial Services Incorporated. Security dealer, member FINRA, SIPC, a registered investment advisor. Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated. And now, here's your host, Jim Shoemaker. And Talk Money is brought to you part by the Bailey Law Firm, estate planning, elder law, and probate planning for all generations. Be sure to give Mac and his team a call. They are one of the best in the city, do a great job for us, and so just just keep it in mind. If you need someone that you want to spend the time with to understand what you need for an estate planning lawyer, give Mac Bailey a call. My guest, as I was telling you earlier is a guy that we've had on multiple times before and always does a great job for us. He is the president and chief investment officer of Advantage Capital Management, Mr. Chris Seaball. Mr. Chris Seaball, welcome to the program, sir. Good morning, Jim. It's great to be with you. Well, you know, Chris, I wanted to start because there's so much going on. I mean, you know, there's, I, I think about all the things that were happening as far as the economy and the markets and the second quarter being so, you know, I mean, we had a fantastic quarter, actually. But let me let me start with this question, because I, I feel like that I want us to make kind of put to perspective. The surprise of the year has been almost no stock volatility. I mean, in fact, I said it earlier in the program when we were just doing our monologue earlier that we've seen more volatility in the last seven days or 24 or let's say two weeks than we had seen almost in the entire first half of the year. Yeah, and what do you think? Well, um, maybe even just comparing that to what expectations were going into the year with changes that you might expect to see out of the administration. A lot of surprise that volatility has not only been low, but um, historically low in the first half of this year. So you mentioned that we've had more volatility in the last two weeks than we've had in the whole of the prior uh, almost eight months. But, Jim, we've had lower volatility in the first eight months of this year than almost any other period in the last 30 years. <laughs> That's right. I guess I, crazy low. Yeah, I guess I could have been put it in that perspective. I mean, when you think about it, it's historical lows, right? That's, so, so what do we think about that? There? What's going on there a little bit is that we have seen much better economic growth and steady growth than most investors expected. We've had a rebound out of Europe and a rebound out of emerging markets that's helped overall global growth. And after our first quarter low growth in the U.S., the U.S. growth is starting to come on a little bit stronger. We know what we saw with the revisions the second quarter. Now we have about 3% growth in the second quarter. And indicators for the rest of this year continue to be healthy. Um, and um, another big factor is that inflation, um, and this has been a surprise to us, 
we thought inflation would start to go up, and it, as you know, it's really just stayed very low. Um, so it, it's been kind of that mix of um, not too hot, not too cold, almost perfect for um, for stocks. Is that something that we should expect for the rest of the year? I know Janet Yellen didn't talk about monetary policy at last week's Jackson Hole meeting, and I mean, she it almost says that she's she's leaning to no maybe maybe an increase in December's. But what are you thinking? Is she? I mean, it, it was a ho hum meeting, in my opinion. Uh, I do think she's looking at balance sheet normalization. I do think that's kind of her mindset. But what is it saying to you? There's almost a non, uh, no energy in it. Very calm. Very uh, we, everything seems to be doing according to her plan. And I think. I think that's right. Um, you know, the the Fed's worried about a couple of things, but they're they're not worried about inflation getting too uh, hot. They're probably not worried about growth becoming too hot. They're they're worried a little bit about unemployment, but that feedback loop on low unemployment hasn't fed back into inflation. So that whole cycle is a little bit of a conundrum for them. Probably the biggest concern that they have, and this comes up every once in a while is, you know, everything's going so well that you, keep, you get stocks continue to go up, which is a good thing, but it makes the Fed nervous that this might be, you know, building into something that then um, has a correction and, and other things. But for the most part, the Fed's job is being performed, uh, or they don't have to perform that much because the, the job that needs to be done is being done by the markets and the economy independent of the Fed. Almost to the point where you 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 kind of were headed that away is things are so good it's like we're it's like we anticipate something bad because things are so good. That's a good way to frame it. <laughs> human, human nature. Yeah, so, is, yeah. Uh, you know, everything's right. good. You know, something's got to happen here in the next couple of months. But let me ask you this because I mean, there's a lot of talk when you talk about the Fed and inflation and things like this. And I mentioned you know, kind of the idea behind the balance sheet normalization and her maybe having an interest rate hike in December. A lot of people seem to think that that's, that's a little too much. Do you feel that way? I mean, that would be almost like double tightening. I heard that the other day. Somebody said, well, if you do that, if she normalizes the Fed balance sheet and she increases rates, that's kind of like tying two strings to it and Yanking them too tight, and that may be too restrictive. Your thoughts on that? It it could be, um, but I I guess the what the, the broader perspective that I might try to provide to this is you pull the camera lens back. Remember how often and how many times the Fed and some of the independent policymakers, whether they're Fed presidents uh, from different banks, have said, "Oh, we need to tighten substantially. You know, we need to raise rates four times this year." And none of that has come um, to fruition in terms of their expectations. So now we're talking about maybe one tightening and and changing the bond buying purchase uh, pattern. Um, We've reduced expectations quite a bit of what might be a tightening cycle overall, because we've only had, I think it's what, three increases? Right. Um, And maybe there's one more and... You know, you think about it, Jim, after this, there's probably not a lot more to go in this overall cycle because um, we're not seeing the kind of response out of the economy. So you're, you're right that maybe those two together might be too sharp, but if we pull the lens back, we're not 
needing any kind of Fed tightening in this cycle, like we've seen in the last one or in previous cycles. Uh, yeah, I can uh, remember a previous cycle earlier in the year, you know, 2001, 2002, it was every every quarter, sometimes every, every quarter month. of 25 yeah. basis points. Right, right. Um, so overall, you know, each one of these moves might turn out to be a little too much and maybe have um, some feedback loop on the economy. But overall, the path to higher rates here is super slow as our recovery has continued to be moderate and and slow and really not showing any signs of spiking in any way that the Fed needs to, to really do a whack-a-mole kind of a strategy to, to tamp down excessive uh, either, either economic growth, optimism, or um, a sector of the economy. If you just tuned in, my guest, Chris Seaball, he is the President and Chief Investment Officer of Advantage Capital Management. We're talking about the economy and the markets. And it, Chris, you said moderate growth. Earnings growth appears just to be cooling a little bit. I mean, you know, we had a phenomenal first quarter and even a better second quarter. We came out of the recession, third quarter of last year, the earnings recession. Earnings recession, right. yeah. And so it seems to be like, wow, things seem to be really moving along. Would it? Would you say that it would be tough to top the first half and the second half of this year? Or should we say... The word cooling off, is that real, or what are you anticipating? I, you know, I think, I think things are going to be steady. Um, if you look at corporations overall and their ability to generate additional profit, um, as you mentioned, coming out of the earnings recession, which was impacted a lot by the energy sector in late 15 and early 16, um, obviously we've moved through that. Um, and companies are operating at probably their highest operating margins historically. So if you look at their ability to squeeze more margin, it doesn't seem like there's a great potential for them to squeeze more margin. But I think that the global growth and the growth of the U.S. economy together, which is not great, but it's steady, and I think we're likely to see more steady growth, we remain optimistic about that steady, high, or I should say, low double-digit earnings growth, uh-huh. which we haven't had for a little while. Um, so I'm still optimistic about the, the market in that regard um, to steady earnings growth um, coming through in the remainder of the year. You know, with steady growth, like you're talking about, and, and again, I guess I read something recently that not only, you know, we may say that the U.S. is kind of climbing the wall of worry, just kind of moving through that process. You know, we everybody's talking about the it's really going good, something's going to happen, and we kind of mentioned that. But you look globally, and I think it's the 44 economies that were being tracked, all 40 up, four of them, this year has clicked over to having earnings growth. So globally, the economy is looking pretty good. Yeah, you know, Europe's been a big surprise in that regard. Um, they, for many, many years, I think, uh, they've been struggling to have steady growth. And their GDP growth in Europe, I think, in this year has probably been better than it has been in almost any time in the last six years. Yeah. Nice so time. this synchronized um, expansion, um, it, I, I failed to mention Japan. Japan's had... I guess what you might call a breakout year in terms of their performance. So you get Japan, Europe, and U.S. all together, and it 
it starts to create some global momentum that I think can persist uh, for a little while longer. You mentioned energy earlier, and back to 2015, August of 2015, with the crisis there. Now, oil has moved down to a bear market, down about $11 from its high of 57 and change. Will Hurricane Harvey, you think, change everything? Is that going to change the play in field? I mean, we're we're seeing it already at the gas pump. I mean, it's up 10, 15, 20 cents. Is that going to last for a one-year, two-year, three-year period because of the damage in Houston? Or your take on that? You know, I think it's probably going to have an impact um, near term here. It's too early for us to have a view on how long that's going to take to play out. Um, you know, we, in, I'll, may, I'll maybe make an example that's analogous to um, the energy sector in Houston and how that's hit. Um, we have a number of real estate investments in the Houston area, uh, some direct investments that we, we do. And frankly, we can't even get in contact with the owners just yet. Um, they haven't been able to get out to their properties because of the flooding that still persists. So I mention that because I, I think it's still too early for people to have a, a really strong opinion and an assessment of how long it will take to recover in the energy sector, in the real estate sector, in their overall economy in Houston. Um, so we're we're still in the phase of gathering information before we think that um, we have a, a strong opinion of how it's going to unfold um, in the coming six months to a year. Well, that makes sense, and I can appreciate that answer because I know there's a lot of moving parts for that, but I, I think it's got a lot of people concerned. Will that happen? And again, we you know, it's hard to predict or what, you know, as far as when something of this catastrophic nature takes place, uh, we may still be talking about this in six months, about what's what's beginning to unfold from that standpoint. The August purchasing manager's uh, numbers, the index, showed some mixed results. You know, but, but overall, they were solid. Then you look at what happened with the the manufacturing. It was down slightly. Does this tell us anything about the economy, or is this just kind of the natural ebb and flow of the summer months? I think it's the natural ebb and flow, whether it's summer months or just uh, cyclically or within smaller cycles, you know, the, the surveys in general um, that we pay attention to, as you mentioned, have been pretty strong. And, you know, when they're running in the, uh, you know, the above 50 level, mm. um, that still is an expansion mode. And we tend to see that companies are, are continuing to invest and when they have that signal and subsequent months and quarters continue to be strong or stronger for the economy. So a little dip down in the purchasing managers index doesn't get me that uh, concerned or worried. Um, if we're moving closer to uh, to 50, then that's where I'll get, we'll get more concern. It makes a lot of sense. That's, you know, what I think I hear is you look at the big picture instead of the the, the macro instead of the micro. I know you have to look at the micro too, but I mean, what I appreciate as the chief investment officer of a capital group, a management group, that you're not just running around jumping and, you know, what, what I call knee jerks. And I appreciate the way you said that. I think that's important for our listeners to understand. You don't knee jerk when the market makes little slight moves 
you literally take the time and what's your overall plan. Last question for you, sir. Jobs report was kind of mixed a little bit, created about 156,000 jobs and anticipation. Seems like we're stuck on this 180,000 expectations. Somewhere between 140, 200 is about normal, right? Don't you think it's... Yeah, that's right. You know, over the last three months, I think the average has been about 180. So we get a little bit lower this month. Um, remember, these numbers get revised tremendously. Yes. So if we get super excited about 160 or 170, we're probably not paying attention to the way the stats come together on this stuff. Um, you know, the last two months were each revised by, I think, 20,000-ish in that range. Um, so I, I tend to look and we tend to look at more of a three-month average for the jobs. Um, you know, any one month, if it were off a lot, like 70 or 100,000 jobs, clearly is going to have an impact on the market. But I think what you want to do and what you're framing there, Jim, for the audience is the longer-term perspective. And are the trends changing? Not so much did the data change this month, but are the trends changing? And that's what we watch in terms of our thinking about making our investment decisions for the companies and the individuals we manage for and the plans that are going to make them successful in the long term. You've been listening to Chris Seaball, President and Chief Investment Officer of Advantis Capital Management, a great guest of ours, frequent, and we appreciate, Chris, all the things you bring to the table. And really what I hear you saying, and I'm not going to put words in your mouth, so can you summarize in 30 seconds or less? It sounds pretty good to me. We're still optimistic. I tell you, Jim, one of the things that we pay really close attention to is our business cycle overall. And we're in the eighth year of our business cycle. It's a long business cycle. But what we've done is when looking at these business cycles, we find that those that were preceded by or in advance had some sort of a crisis or a financial crisis like we had in this one, those business cycles tend to be pretty long. And even though we're in eight years of this, we think that there's some more room to run. And I think what's happening now in the U.S. economy and the global economy is is just an example of how long it takes to come out of these and when you start to get into some of the better growth periods. Excellent. So we're optimistic, um, and we're going we're gonna to stay positioned accordingly. Okay, I'm going to call you back in a couple of months and get your last half of the last third or a fourth of the year's opinion, okay? Awesome. Thank you, sir. Thanks so much for spending with this half hour with us. You've been listening to Chris Seaball, sir. Have a great day. Thank you, Jim. All right, sir. But when we come back, Michael Powell is going to discuss something with us. How financially secure is the average American? That's a question we ought to be asking. Some trends are currently troubling, but new research, though, shows us that things are not quite as bleak as we think. So stay with us. Boy, he's got some great information for us. We'll be back right after this. Have a question you'd like answered on the program? Email talkmoney at shoemakerfinancial.com. 
You're listening to Talk Money. Securities and investment advisor services are offered through Securing Financial Services Incorporated. Member FINRA, SIPC, Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated. Neither Securing Financial Services Incorporated nor Shoemaker Financial are affiliated with Greg Cook or Metropolitan Bank. Chris Sebald is not affiliated with Shoemaker Financial. And now here's your host, Jim Shoemaker. And welcome back to Talk Money. My guest coming up is Michael Powell. We're going to be talking about some of those things that you need to know about having a you know a better financial health. But before I go to Michael, let me just share with you. I told you about the homeowners and how we stay in the 55% or 55 and older. We got more people actually staying in our homes, owning our homes. Well, here's a thought for you. The percentage of home mortgage loans that are delinquent, now that's delinquent meaning not foreclosure, but just not paying the the, the mortgage debt, was 8.44% at the end of the second quarter of 2011. That number has fallen, which is a good thing, 4.24% as the end of the second quarter of 2017. So that tells us our financial health is a little better. Here's the thought for you. The, here's kind of an opposite side of that. The personal savings rate in the United States, according to the Department of Commerce, says that it's at was at 3.8% in June of 2017. Now, that its lowest level, and that, the, the, what I'm trying to say to you is that 3.8% is its lowest level since August of 2008. The all-time low is 2005, which it was 1.9%. Now, what I want you to understand is we have a tendency in trying times to save money, when they, we feel things are going pretty good, we don't save money, we spend money. Now, I fully understand that. What I want you to understand in this mindset of what we're going to try to share with you today is how to reverse a little bit of that and how to manage your financial health. So Michael's going to give us several issues or several thoughts on how to walk through to build your financial health, just some fundamental things to keep us moving in the right direction and it's kind of a reverse mindset because here we're thinking, well, the economy's doing better. I'm going to go save. I'm not going to save money. I'm going to go spend it. That's a good thing. I don't have any problem with that. But we're going to try to help you understand that if you're saving for the rainy day, get that done and then go and spend the money. So, Michael Powell, welcome to the program, sir. Thanks for having me, Jim. You know, Michael, one of the things that we look at when we talk about this road to better financial health. I know some some of the things we see, especially in your practice, you're talking to people all the time, where maybe they're not quite getting that. And Chris was Chris Seaball, the, the guy we had on earlier, was talking about the economy's doing better, everything's doing great. He was optimistic, he said. But we have a tendency to move through this this migration of up and down, whatever the economy's doing is is how we think. Right. But home buyers, you know, they're making a higher down payment today. That's a good thing. What? Tell me a little bit about that, and why do you think that's happening? Absolutely. I mean, with home payments or just down payments on the home, it's it's very important to calculate what exactly you need to put down. And that gold standard for a down payment is usually 20%, and for good reason, because anytime you put less than 20% down on your mortgage, then you actually get hooked on the private mortgage insurance that the lender makes you get on. And you have to pay that. That's just an extra cost. Yes, it is. And generally speaking, the higher down payment you have, the less your mortgage payment's going to be for the next 15, 30 years, whatever you decide to sign up for. Yeah, I know that this is this is some studies that you've been reading and, and going through where there were, uh, FINRA did a study on this. And again, 
The, this is an investor education program out of their foundation where they interviewed 27,000 people. So they're finding today that, by and large, number one, that people are putting a larger down payment. Um, what are you finding as far as this group of, you know, where they're, they're just not doing that? Let's go all the way back to the post-recession, like 2009. What was happening? So in 2009, less than... Twenty-five percent of home buyers were actually putting down more than twenty percent of a down payment today, or at least last year, based on twenty sixteen. Thirty-three percent of home buyers are putting twenty or more percent down. So we're what we're saying is there's a trend. It's a good trend. People are now. Do you think that's a trend because the person wants to do that, or the bank's requiring that? Your your opinion. That's just like an opinion. It's a mix of both. Sure it is. I would say so because I think when you look at 2009, that was just after that right. that real estate crash, right. which I'm sure maybe has a little bit to do with that. But at the same time, I think people are getting just more educated on what's appropriate for a down payment. You know, I think you, that the word educated, I think that's a critical point. We go through a crisis and people learn from experience. So many people lost their home because they were buying homes, literally buying homes, they should not have been buying, and they were not putting any money down. And the minute that we have a little bit of a hiccup, that that payment to that house was not a payment they could t- continue. So what we're telling people and what we want you to understand, if you're listening to today's program, is pay attention to the fact that pay the 20% down. Save the money to put 20% down. Don't think about buying a house without doing that. And if you can't put the 20% down, don't just to say, okay, I'll keep saving until I can do that. I mean, Michael, doesn't that what I mean? Isn't that the best overall for anybody you're talking to? It would be long term. It is, but at the same time, not everybody's going to have twenty percent of a hundred fifty thousand dollar house, right? And that's a lot of money. It's Thirty thousand dollars, yeah. But with the right planning, I think you could probably get away with a 20% or less down payment, but it's always just in the forefront mind of saying, look, here's the repercussions of that. Yeah, you have to understand yes. all the issues there. What are some of the other things that, that we found in this survey that you say that shows us that people are in better financial health? More people are having established rainy day funds, and that is probably one of the more bigger issues I feel like when I talk to clients about and financial shocks happen we all know that whether it's a health problem or a job loss emergency savings fund can really help people just surviving those circumstances just to get themselves by for that certain amount of time so a rainy day fund does that that's that savings account set aside someplace where you're not tapping into it to go out to eat yes exactly and then you know, due to the rule of thumb, and you've probably been saying this for years, but a rainy day fund should have at least three months of living expenses. At least. And last year, 46% of people in this survey reported that they did have a three months living expenses. Okay. Compared to back in 2009, there was only 35% saying that. So people are being a little bit more cognitive of that type issue, and they're Obviously, taking, taking advantage care of it. it yeah. Taking advantage of it. Sure. Well, if you just tuned in, my guest is Michael Powell. We are talking about better financial health. How do, how do you move into that mindset of having better financial health? He's going to talk to us a little bit about some other things that, that I think you're going to find to be interesting. I mean, uh, but if, if you're having trouble paying some bills, well, 
Michael's got an answer for you. So stay with us. You're going to be listening to the Mid-South History Moment coming up with Rebecca Brazier in just a moment. When we come back, Michael Powell, Shoemaker Financial, we're going to walk through some additional better financial health planning. How do you do that? What do you think about? Stay with us. We'll be right back. Have a question you'd like answered on the program? Email talkmoney at shoemakerfinancial.com. We'll be right back with more Talk Money after this. When Nazi Germany achieved a surprise victory over France in 1940, an alarmed President Roosevelt immediately began expanding national defense industries at a breathtaking rate, which greatly altered the face of the Mid-South. Within a year, two major defense industries were operating in Shelby County. Memphis became the U.S. 2nd Army Headquarters, where training for the half-million soldiers stationed in Tennessee was conducted. The nation's only inland naval base was established in Millington. Workers were hired wherever they could be found, and local factories were retooled for wartime production. During the war, the Ford plant was used to make airplane engines, Quaker Oats manufactured synthetic rubber, and Firestone produced rubber life rafts. Of the 40,000 men and women from Shelby County who served in our armed forces during World War II, 662 were either killed or missing in action. Among those who served, African Americans from the Mid-South fought with exceptional bravery and honor and contributed in countless ways to the defeat of Germany and Japan. One African American from Memphis who served with distinction was Captain Luke Weathers, who flew with the famed Tuskegee Airmen and shot down seven enemy planes. Weathers once said of Memphis before he died that this is a city that has its feet in the Mississippi, its souls in the churches, and its minds up in the blue sky with God. This has been another Mid-South History Moment, brought to you by Shoemaker Financial. You're listening to Talk Money. This material represents an assessment of the market environment at a specific point in time. It is not intended to be a forecast of future events or a guarantee of future results, research, investment advice, or a recommendation to purchase or sell a security. And now here's your host, Jim Shoemaker. I'm talking with Michael Powell of Shoemaker Financial. If you'd like to ask Michael a question, his telephone number is 757-5757. He'll be glad to give you some guidance and walk you through any of these things he's talking about today. Michael, you're walking through some these. The whole idea here is better financial health. Now, you talked about if you're going to buy a house, make a minimum 20% down payment. That's just a start. Now, that means you may have to save a little bit longer to buy the house, but discipline yourself to do that. That was your thought there. Yes, that's correct. Now, if you look at this rainy day fund, you know, I would think that is such a normal for anybody to do. But we, you know, in our situation, we see a lot of people that don't have rainy day funds. You talked about the fact that it ought to be at least a minimum of three months set aside to cover expenses. Uh, and that's not money that, again, you don't set that money to, to use it as to go out to dinner or, or something like that. It is a rainy day Fun. Right. Lock it up. Leave Stone it there. Wall. <laughs> yeah, that's right. You can't touch it. Can't touch it. Now, here we go. All of a sudden, you got to pay a bill. Let me give you an example of one that I had somebody in the office not too long ago. They had uh, run their tires on their car to the point where they were racing slicks. And so they needed to go buy four new tires. Now, 
that should have been that rainy day fund. In in my mind, it wasn't even a rainy day fund. It's a tire fund. Yeah. I mean, they, they had a car. They had four tires. Set aside X number of dollars on a monthly basis, $25, $30, $40 a month into the rainy day fund. Fine, $25, $35, $40 into the tire fund so that when you have to buy tires, you're not putting it on a credit card. You're not putting yourself into financial difficulty, having to go borrow the money. So mm-hmm. what you're talking about is paying bills. The rainy day fund helps. Yes, and uh, the survey has shown that we are having less trouble paying bills. And that, I think that really does go back to the rainy day fund, like you just mentioned. And uh, more than half of Americans are having challenges of covering their living expenses. But the new numbers are encouraging, especially with last year, 48% of this survey said they have no difficulty, according to bills and expenses. And then now, or back in 2009, it was 36% of those people. So you've got a reality here that people are doing better than they did in 2009. Yes. But we still have got a lot of people not saving money like they should and not still struggling paying their bills. Absolutely. And I know I, that's a big issue for a lot of people. It is. It really is. All right. Let me let me move on to this this last or the next to the last one, I guess. Americans today have health insurance. There's no doubt that has been a good move for us to understand that the Affordable Care Act helped people have health insurance. It may be very costly, but there's people that now have it. Is that proving to be the best for the best? It seems to be, especially with all the things that uh, the Obama administration had started with in 2014. Mm-hmm. And you can see that just through the survey back in 2012, they had 78% of Americans that answered that survey, they had health insurance. And now, last year, that 87% have health insurance. So I think that really helps out from other things that come up, like we talked about unexpected bills, we talked about rainy day funds, but having health insurance... It's it's going to protect you from those unaffordable health medical bills that come up. It still shows us, though, in that survey that almost a fourth, almost one four, one out of four people literally still struggle with having bills that they medical bills, medical medical cost can be a devastating to a person and their finances. I've seen that in my career where all of a sudden they've got a fifty, sixty, hundred thousand dollar medical bill. And they didn't have insurance to cover it. Right. That can be devastating. It's the classic, it's never going to happen to me. Right. Right. Yeah, it's (laughs) never going to happen to me. (laughs) Well, that's kind of the whole mindset that we see with a lot of people. Now, let's go back. we're, We're laying the groundwork. We're talking about being disciplined, you know, saving money to buy a house and making sure that you at least have that 20%. Right. And that's critical. Now, in your practice... How do people respond to that? How do do you find that people say, oh, I'm ready to do that. I'm real easy. That's no problem. I'll do it. Or are they struggle with that discipline of saving money? A lot of the younger people I work with, they're always, their eyes get big when I say 20% because they're, they're looking at $200,000 houses. They've never bought a house before, so right. they don't really know how much it's really going to take. And you got to consider closing costs, attorney fees, all these other things involved. But realistically, I see some people well prepared for it. Some people, you know, they could do 5 to 10%, but it pretty much varies across the board. And it is difficult today. So do you encourage them to maybe go to parents and get the other 5, 10, 15, 20% if they can? 
Uh, well, if they if they have a good relationship with them and the parents don't have an issue with it, sure, why not? I mean, if they're going to give you a better interest rate than the bank will, why not? Why not? But I, now you said that with the idea of not being a gift that you'll pay mom and dad back. Yes, exactly. Okay, good point. That's a very good point. And you know, with your generation, is that do they anticipate doing that, or are they expecting the handout, make it a gift, give me the money so I can buy a house? I don't think anybody, or at least the, that my generation's expecting a handout of some sort, but it's more of, uh, look, I'm going to show you that I'm going to pay you back on this. Gotcha. I don't expect this to be a handout, but at the same time, very generous of you to help me out. I helped you out. That's a great point. If you just tuned in, I am talking with Michael Powell. We are walking through four, five, six things about better financial health. And that's important because we're looking at giving you instructions on how to guide you through. When we come back, We're going to talk about one of the biggest issues that more people struggle with than you can imagine. And it's so, so simple, and yet it is the number one problem. And we'll talk about it when we come back. You're listening to the FM FM 107.9 and AM 990, the voice talk radio for the Mid-South. I'm Jim Shoemaker. This is Talk Money. We'll be right back after this. Be sure to like us on Facebook. Just search Shoemaker Financial. We'll be right back with more Talk Money after this. Are you aging? Well, I am. This is Mac Bailey from the Bailey Law Firm. As we age, our concerns and needs change. An updated estate plan will give you peace of mind regarding your family and your future. Your will is about your wishes and not always about your wealth. What are your wishes? Please call us at 901-843-2760 or visit us at thebaileylawfirm.com. Again, this is Mac Bailey from the Bailey Law Firm telling you that today is the youngest you will ever be. Let us help you with your estate planning, elder law, and probate needs. It's what we do. You're listening to Talk Money. Investments will fluctuate, and when redeemed, it may be worth more or less than when originally invested. And now, here's your host, Jim Shoemaker. Well, how secure, financially secure, is the average American? And that's what we're trying to walk you through today in this program. And Michael Powell is my guest. We are going through some fundamentals, some basics, and yet we're going to finish out with one I think is probably the center spoke or center hub around all the other spokes. And the reality is we talked about home buyers are making their higher down payments. You need to save the money, have 20% to pay down payment, whether you get that from, you know, your parents or what. But if you're going to buy your first home, make sure or any home, you make sure you at least have 20% down payment. More people today are saving for rainy day funds, you know, setting aside money. Well, Michael said at least three percent, three three months of it. You need to make sure that you can say, "I've got three months of my daily cost of living expenses set aside, locked up." He said behind the brick wall, and that's critical. You know, the reality is you have that kind of money, and you know you could put it if you can do that. You have that unexpected bill, or you're having trouble paying a bill. That rainy day fund could come in and save the day, so you don't get behind and. In paying your debts. Now, he also mentioned that the average American today has health insurance, but we all know that there can be that unexpected high cost. Well, plan for that. Do some kind of an idea. It, don't say to yourself, it's going to happen to the guy down the street. Look at how you, maybe you need a different insurance plan. Maybe you need disability insurance. All of those things are a part of an overall plan. 
So we've covered those four basic things that we've considered to be how the kind of the mindset of how do you have better financial health. Now, Michael, let's go to number five. In reality, I put this as being the number one mindset. The number one of all these others, this is kind of, the, as I said, this is the hub, the spokes around it, all the other four. Help me out. More Americans feel good about their finances. I think it's very important to realize what that means because mentality is a lot. It's very key to when you talk about financial planning and everything else. With low employment, stock market soaring far than you know pre-recession peak, it would stand to reason that more people are feeling better and more comfortable with their personal situations. In fact, last year, 31% of these people that did the survey reported feeling satisfied with what they're doing in their personal finance compared to 2009, only 16% felt comfortable. Now, now, let's talk about that because to me, this is the essence of what we do. If you're working with someone, and I know, you know, don't, I'm not taking anything away from the economic crisis of 2008 and 2009. Mm-hmm. That was a tough time for everybody. But if you have a plan, and it's a plan that you've worked through, and you being my advisor, I'm struggling with all the things going on, and I may feel uncomfortable. I may feel pessimistic or the world's coming into an mm-hmm. end. But if I come into the office and you sit me down and you help me go through what I said was my plan and you coach me through the disaster, right? I feel like that's what that's what I'm paying you to do, and the value to that is phenomenal. Yes, it is, especially when you come in and you— I mean, most people come in and they don't really know everything about their financial situation. Right. They're they're discovering it as they're letting it out and telling you, the advisor, about it. So once the whole process is done and you really clarify what's going on and where you need to go, obviously you're going to feel a lot better than just being in the dark. And I think that's what that's the key to what we do as financial planners is the reality is you're talking about guiding someone holding their hands in a crisis, keeping them from, as we say, jumping off the fence or jumping off the cliff. Mm -hmm. The reality is it's guiding that person so they can feel better about their finances, whether it's optimistic time and the market's soaring or a crisis. Now, I'm not saying that we don't just come in and polish away and everything goes away in a crisis, but we help people walk through that. And I know you do that in your practice, and uh, we teach that. Is from where you stand when you're working with people, do you see that as being the essence of what we do? Is that really, at the end of the day, just holding a hand, guiding some through on their finances? I believe so. I mean, there's more than half the things that we recommend, say, or do to help that client, and it's all on their shoulders. And they're the ones that have to get it done, and we're really the ones to encourage them, coach them, and help them accomplish that. And I think that's probably the biggest part of our job is making sure that they know you need to feel good about what we're doing. And also I need to make sure that they know I feel good about what they're that's doing. critical. You're exactly right. And the team that works with you helps that client see that you're not just doing it on your own. You've right. got a whole group of people behind you. Well, again, Michael, thank you. Could you summarize these five things? Can you give me kind of your overall view of where you think from what you would want a listener to know to take away from today? I would say that it's a great positive thing to know that people are feeling better about their finances. It's better that people are saving more for emergencies. It's better that people are putting more money down. But at the end of the day, uh, 
we could say all in the world about all these different surveys and things of how people are doing, but it's all about you, the individual that looks at this stuff. It gives you better optimism to maybe do some of these things if you're not already doing it. So so this is a step of the process. Get engaged. Get started. Mm-hmm. Don't wait to a crisis, but get started when you can be optimistic and you feel good about what you're doing. Exactly. Well, if you just tuned in, Michael Powell, telephone number 757-5757. Give him a call. I mean, it's a, it's a free call. Just simply ask him. Say, hey, I want to know a little bit more about what you talked about on the radio today. Homebuyers, making down payments, 20%. Having a rainy day fund, knowing what that's to do and how that's to help you pay. Number three, pay your bills, making sure that you don't have the trouble paying your bills. Is your health insurance appropriate? Is your whole insurance program appropriate? Is your PNC appropriate? Is your that's your homeowners and automobile? All of that is your life insurance, your disability, all of that. Make sure that all of those things are together. And then finally, feel good about what you're doing. Have a plan that's going to guide you through all of the issues that take on when a crisis comes about. Well, I'm Jim Shoemaker. You've been listening to Talk Money. My producer and board operator is Gil Worth. Guest and content coordination, Francis Fortner. Production assistant, Eleanor Moskovich. Compliance officer, Tommy Armstrong. And Mid-South History Moment by Rebecca Brazier and written by Drew Johnson. You're listening to Talk Money on KWAM 990 FM 107.9, The Voice Talk Radio for the Mid-South. Thanks for listening. We're here every week helping you make the most of your money. Jim Shoemaker and Michael Powell are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Securing Financial Services Incorporated. Securities dealer, member FINRA, SIPC, a registered investment advisor. Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated. 